Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Canton Church, a campus of Mount Perrin North. We exist to help people live a Christ-centered life, and we hope that you are encouraged by today's message. I love watching people go public with their faith through baptism, and next week we have an opportunity to do that. You heard that uh, today during our announcement time, where that's what's happening next week in all three services. And so if If you've recently made a decision for Jesus Christ, or maybe you haven't ever been baptized, we would love to give you the opportunity to to go public with your faith next week in baptism. We don't believe that baptism saves you, but we do believe that baptism is the next step for every believer after they have received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And so we would love to have you participate in baptism because, again, we just believe that's, that's what you should do. Uh, if, you're a, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You know, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about the great adventure. We've been talking about God's will for our life, God's plan for our life. And, you know, we've been talking about this idea that God's calling us. He's compelling us to something, to live a grander story or to live in something maybe even different than, we've currently, than we're currently living. And as that was happening, what we didn't know is that that was taking place in the lives of some folks that are a part of our church. And uh, it's kind of bittersweet today for me to let you in on something that's been happening over the last few weeks. Pastor Blake and Sarah Snap over the last few weeks have been feeling the Lord leading them towards an opportunity that was presented to them a few weeks ago. They got a call out of the blue. They weren't looking to leave. They weren't looking to move. They're happy here. And God opened a door for them through a, a phone call of a really healthy, thriving church of about 1,500 people in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, to come and be their children's pastor. And uh, they prayed about it. They talked to me and Corey about it and said, I, you know, we don't know. So they prayed, they fasted. And, and after a little time, they felt like, yeah, this is something that we feel like maybe we should look at. And so they spent more time in prayer, more fasting. And they went to St. Louis to interview with this church. And this past week, uh, they received an offer to come and be their children's pastor. And again, more prayer, more fasting, several days of fasting and praying because of how much they love you, how much they love us but they do feel like this is what the Lord's leading them to do. And so today's not their last day. We're just letting you know today. They'll be with us a few more weeks, probably through the end of September. Uh, And as they get a little closer to that time, we'll bring them in, pray over their family. But uh, Pastor Blake and I have known each other since eighth grade. Uh, We went to middle school and high school together and then went to college together. So this is really bittersweet. Uh, it's, It's sweet in that we would be hypocrites if we said, no, you can't go do this. Because we've been preaching about, you know, God calling us to things, God leading us to things, uh, the great adventure, God's plan. And, and so as they have prayed and fasted, they believe this is what the Lord's leading them to do. And, and they have been torn in their own selves uh, because they do love it here and love you and love your children. And it, it's bitter in the fact that we're going to miss them. They're an incredible part of our team, incredible part of our church. And so as we get a little closer to their final day, we'll bring them in, pray over them, just bless them as they leave. But I encourage you over the next few weeks, but especially today when you see them, hug their necks, love on them, just thank them so much for what they've done here in their three years as a part of Canton Church. But here's where I resigned myself to. I resigned myself to the fact that we've been preaching it. We believe that God speaks. They, through prayer and fasting, believe that they have heard from God And so we affirm their ability to hear from God, and we're going to allow them to chase all that God has because we want to be that kind of people. I want to be that kind of person that I want to follow God, I want to follow God's calling, and I want to release people to follow God's calling. And so it is bittersweet, but for all of us in this place, I still believe that to be true. It doesn't necessarily mean that you will relocate. 
It doesn't mean that you'll change jobs. It doesn't mean that your family situation will change. But I do believe that God is calling all of us to live grand lives, great adventures, and He's calling us into His plan and His purpose. And so today, as we go to God's Word, I felt like that we should just go back to the basics. We should go back to the foundation of what it is that God might be calling all of us to be and all of us to do, and not just for our church, but for all of us individually as followers of Jesus Christ. And if you're not a follower of Christ in the room this morning, I'm going to lay out for you the, the plan, the strategy that we believe every follower of Christ should kind of live. Uh, it doesn't mean this is the quickest way to heaven. This is not the HOV lane to heaven or anything like that. But this is definitely what we believe the plan of God for all of us to live would be, especially in the context of this church and this local church. And so today we're going to talk a little bit about that. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11 says this. It says, it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. I'm going to read that one more time because that's really, really good. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11 says, it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Now in this verse of scripture, what we see is two major principles that could be guiding principles for all of us as we attempt to do life. It says that it's in Christ that, first of all, we find out who we are. That's our identity. You ever met anybody that just did not understand who they were? Like they were insecure or maybe they were just uncertain, whatever it was. They just, they had an inability to really know who they were. They had not yet discovered their passions and their giftings and their strengths and their weaknesses. And they just could not get comfortable in their own skin. Well, in this verse, what we see is that it's in Christ that we find out who we are. We can actually find our identity. And if you today are someone like that that's struggling a little bit with your identity, just struggling to understand who you are and, and who you are in Christ, I would encourage you to evaluate, am I in Christ? If you're not in Christ, maybe that's the reason that you are struggling to determine that identity. The second thing that we see in this verse is that not only do we find out who we are, we find out what we're living for. We can find purpose. You know anybody that's purposeless, that doesn't seem to have a clear sense of direction, that doesn't seem to have a clear idea of where they're headed and what they're supposed to be doing with their lives? And so what you have is that in Christ, you can find out your identity and your purpose. I would say for all of us, if we knew our identity, if we were confident in our identity and we were confident in our purpose, that we would live more fulfilled lives. We would live the kinds of lives where we wouldn't wake up and just kind of wander aimlessly or we wouldn't be insecure so that we mistreated people because of our insecurities about who they were or who they thought we were. We would find that fulfillment in life because it's who we are and it's what we're created for that we find when we are grounded in Christ. And so for all of us as a church, if you're a part of this church, we find that, we really chase that, we pursue that through what, what's kind of our mission, our vision, and it even is a part of our strategy as well. And here's what we say for us. We exist to help people live a Christ-centered life, especially those disconnected from Christ. Our church, Canton Church, which is a part of Mount Perrin North, both our Marietta and Canton locations, we exist to help people live a Christ-centered life, 
especially those that are disconnected from Christ. And so when we're talking about the life that we're living, I said to you earlier, if you're not a Christ follower in the room, we're going to kind of give you the blueprint. This is who we are. We're saying if you're a Christ follower, that actually Christ is the center of who you are. You're pursuing Christ because he's leading you in that direction. It's what we prayed a little earlier. He is compelling you. He's drawing you towards his purposes and his view of your identity. And so that Christ-centered life is what it's all about. And so that's why we exist as a church. And then that last piece there, that especially those disconnected from Christ, that's our target audience as a church. Now, if you're in the room and you say, well, I'm not disconnected from Christ, so maybe this church isn't for me, you would be 100% wrong. We want every person in this church to find that Christ-centered life and to continue to take next steps in their relationship with Jesus Christ so that we become more and more Christ-centered. But we unapologetically exist for those who are disconnected from Christ. And so all of us in the room that are Christ followers, at some point in our life, we were disconnected from Christ, and something happened, something changed. Maybe it was through the invitation of someone to a church service or a Bible study or a small group. Maybe you picked up a Bible and you started reading, and and God, through His Spirit, just kind of imparted that, that wisdom onto you, and you had an experience where you prayed and you recognized your condition as a sinner. Whatever it was, maybe it was through worship music. Maybe it was the invitation to that service and you experienced something, or maybe somebody you fellowshiped with somebody, or they served you in some way. Whatever it was, you were disconnected from Christ, And if you're a Christ follower, no longer are you disconnected. Well, we exist to go after people that are still disconnected. We want to help everybody take next steps. We believe there's a place for every person in our community to be a part of this church, from those that know him the most to those that know him the least. But we are unapologetically about helping disconnected people find life in Jesus Christ. And so for you as an individual and for us as a church, this is why we exist if you're a part of this church. We exist to help people live a Christ-centered life, especially those that are disconnected from Christ. So the way that we do that for our church is we kind of hang our hat on four pillars. We hang our hat on four different tenets that we believe are part of the faith. We believe they exist as a part of that Christ-centered life. We believe these exist in the life of Christ that we find in Scripture. And so we're going to talk about this both from the church perspective and for you as a specific individual as you are taking next steps with Christ and in a relationship with Christ. And so we're going to look at these today. The first of these is loving God. We believe that the, the, component, the first component of a Christ-centered life is loving God. We see that in the example of Jesus Christ when he walked on the earth. It's that loving God component. And what loving God really is, it's found in Matthew chapter 22. It's found other places in Scripture, but a really great depiction of this is in Matthew 22, verse 37, when it says this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. Other places in Scripture, including some of the other Gospels, also say with all your strength. We see this in the book of Deuteronomy. We see this in other places in the Old Testament and the New Testament. But this idea that we are called to love God with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, and all of our strength. These ideas of all of everything, all of completion of who we are as a human being walking on the earth. Now, when I read this... And I've said this a lot. Man, I get hung up on the idea that I'm called to love him with all of my heart and all of my soul and all of my strength. Not 50%, not some, not a good bit, not a majority, not not 75. Like, I would think, like when I was in school, if I made a 99 on a test, I was pumped. But if I'm 99% here, I'm still not doing what he's called me to do. I got to be honest. If I was in school and I made a 75, that was a C. I was excited in some classes. 
In geometry, I was doing great in math until they started throwing shapes in there. I didn't know what that had to do with math. I got a 75 in geometry. I was so excited. But here, if I make a 75, I'm still falling short of the mark, which God is calling me to do, to love him with all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my mind. He gives me no wiggle room here, which means that for all of us, there's a constant evaluation process in our Christ-centered living to say, am I loving God with all of my heart, all of my emotions? Because you and I are, if English is your primary language or you speak English in any, any form or facet in your home, in your life, in your business, we're, we're kind of limited. Because, you know, I love Tennessee football. I didn't love them as much Thursday night, but I love Tennessee football. I love North Carolina basketball. I love Mexican food. I, I got Mexican on the brain. I'm probably going to try to convince Corey to have us, let us do that for lunch today. I love Mexican food. I could eat three meals a day. If you go eat Mexican today, there's like a 50-50 chance you're going to find me in one of the restaurants within a 10-mile radius of this church. Like, I love Mexican food. But here's what we know. I love my wife. I love my children. I'm limited because I've got this one word to describe what I feel towards all of these things, right? And so when I read this and I'm called to love God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength, it can't just be the emotions that I feel because I fall in and out of love with my favorite sports team. I love Mexican food until I've got heartburn 45 minutes later, right? There's an emotional ebb and flow sometimes for me. And so if it's only that I'm loving him with my emotions, then I'm missing the mark. For some of us, maybe we're struggling to love God with our minds. We talked last week about Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Uh, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not in your own understanding. Maybe you're in a season of time where some things in your life don't make sense to you in your mind. And you can't make sense of why. So you're struggling to love God and submit your mind to him maybe in your soul, in the energy that God has given you. You're not really giving God your best. You're prioritizing in your strength, your time management. You're not loving God with everything that you are. And so when I read this and I'm called to love God with all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my mind, even all of my strength in other passages, I'm constantly brought back to an evaluation to say, where am I missing the mark? Where am I falling short? Where can I evaluate myself and ask God to purge me of the things that are robbing me of being able to love God with everything that I am. And so for us as a church, what we attempt to do, I can't make you love God. I can't make me love God, really. But this idea as a church, what we attempt to do is we attempt to create experiences, to create environments where we can see the love of God where we can experience the love of God and then we can respond to it. Scripture tells us that this is how we know that God loves us because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's the idea that he initiated love to us before we could do anything to earn his love. And so I'm not generating my love towards God. I'm actually reflecting his love towards me back to him. I'm receiving his love and returning that love back to him. And so loving God is really about experiencing God. That's what we try to do as the church with these corporate worship experiences like we're doing right now, where we come in together and we sing and worship together in song and we pray together and we encourage one another and we help one another to see the love of God demonstrated in such a way that then we can respond and give God that love back to him. For you personally, Participating in the corporate worship experience is the corporate way that happens. But you personally, what that looks like is the spiritual practices, or maybe you've heard them called the spiritual disciplines. What we're talking about there is we're talking about Bible reading, prayer. We're talking about fasting. 
talking about maybe journaling some thoughts that God is speaking to you, or maybe the, 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 the gift, the discipline of solitude and silence in a culture where there's so much noise that we can't hardly drown it out. And, and so we encourage you to participate in the spiritual practices, to really help identify what God is saying to you, speaking to you, so that you can respond to Him and give the love of God back to Him as you receive that love from Him. I ran across this quote. I thought about using it last week as we were talking about hearing from God through His Word, but I decided to save it for today. I ran across this quote, which I love. It says this. It says, Complaining about a silent God while your Bible is closed is like complaining about not getting text messages while your phone is turned off. No amens on that one? That's fine. I see your eye bullets right at me. I'm going to go ahead and read that one one more time. Complaining about a silent God while your Bible is closed is like complaining about not getting text messages while your phone is turned off. What we do is we say, okay, God, I want you to speak to me. I want to experience your love. And yet we don't put ourselves in environments where we can hear from God, where we can see God's love really fleshed out. And so we don't prioritize time with God or the corporate worship experience or church attendance or we don't read God's word or we don't pray. I would ask you this, when, when have you created space for God to speak in your life? If you're anything like me, you wake up and you, you stayed up too late last night watching football, so you get up a little later than you probably should have and you rush off to what you've got to do and you're in traffic and you can't find God anywhere in that because you're screaming and yelling at the cars that cut you off and you get to work and you run in and you start on your to-do list and you do all the things that you're required to do and you get done with the work and you go home and you take your kids to practice and you do dinner and you start it all back over the next day. Like, when are we creating space for God to speak to us? When are we creating space to experience the love of God so that we can love Him? Him in return. And so these are some evaluation questions that I would give to you today, to all of us, as it relates to loving God. That, that first one is right there. How are you creating space for God to speak to you? How are you creating space for God to speak to you? And how are you trying to experience God's love so you can respond? How are you trying to experience God's love so you can respond? So the first pillar that we kind of hang our hat on is loving God. The second is making friends. Now, this is different than just having friends, just, you know, kind of, oh, hey, that's Bob, that's my friend. We're, you know, we've been friends on Facebook for like eight years. I saw the little picture at the top of my newsfeed today. I, I'm talking about something a little different than that. I'm talking about really kind of investing in life together with other people, a deeper than surface level relationship where you actually know what's going on in someone's life and they know what's going on in your life. And so I, even as I'm talking about making friends, I encourage you to kind of search your mind right now. Like, who are the people that know you the most? Who are the people that really know you beyond that surface level? If you can't name somebody, or maybe you're really wrestling, trying, struggling to find somebody, I would say this may be a place that God needs to start working in your life, and you need to be open to what he might be doing. Making friends, we find in Scripture in Acts chapter 2, this is a famous passage of Scripture because we see the power of God demonstrated in the day of Pentecost, but the early church is being formed here. In verse 42, 44, and 46 of Acts chapter 2, we see how these early followers and early church people are really working together to do life. This is what it says in Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. All the believers were together and had everything in common, and every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. 
These are people that have experienced the power of God. They're meeting together in the corporate worship type of experience in the context of that day, but they are doing life together, sharing possessions, sharing a meal together, doing life together. Who are you doing life with? Who are you doing life with? In the church setting for us, the way that we try to accomplish this, because we can't make you have friends But the way that we try to accomplish this is by creating environments for you to deepen relationships with one another through life groups. And I realize that some of you may have tried this before at other churches or even at our church, and maybe it didn't work. Just keep trying. Go to a different group. Try something different. Try it in a new season of time, a new semester here. Life groups are just an environment where you can come together with other people and do life together. And so we have them in a variety of different ways. Some of them meet in homes And they do like deep Bible studies. They're growing in their knowledge of God's word. Some of you, that's exactly what you're looking for. Other groups meet at restaurants and they just do life together and they pray with one. I love those groups because I love to eat, right? I just, I mean, I come back to that time and time and time again. But I love those. We come together. We eat. Some of them join, some some groups join those two ideas together. They bring food into their home and they do life together. I love those groups as well. But they come together and they do life and they pray for one another's needs and they share, this is what's going on in me. I mean, we find people that we can rejoice with those that are rejoicing and we can mourn with those that are mourning. Some of us, we're doing activity groups. We play softball together. We go hiking together. Some of us, we're doing outreach things together. We're going out and serving in the community in some way or another. We're playing fantasy football together and coming together regularly to watch football. But it's not just about the activity. It's about that's the tool that's used to bring us together to develop and deepen relationships with one another. Now, what I'm not saying is I'm not saying you walk into the first life group meeting that you attend and go, hey, my name is Jeremy and here are my three deepest, darkest sins. And uh, I just appreciate you guys inviting me to be a part of your group. They're probably going to kick you out, (laughs) right? But I'm also not saying that if you show up to your first group and it's a little awkward that you should leave. Almost everything we do for the first time is awkward. And the second time and the third time and the fifth time. But you keep going so that over time, after several weeks and several months and even several years that some of our groups have been meeting together, that there is a commonality in our relationships and a depth in our relationships. That when somebody walks into the room, we immediately know, man, there's something not right today. They're sad. There's There's something I need to ask about, or we need to make sure that we pray about the need that's going on. I can check with them about the things that are going on in their lives because we're doing life together. I can't make you go to a life group. I'd love to try because I believe in the power of life, but I can't make you do that. So for you personally, what you have to determine is, am I doing life with other people for the sake of growing in my relationship with Christ. Because I'm not talking about the guy that sits in the next cubicle uh, next to you at work, necessarily. Because if we're about living a Christ-centered life, then at some point in this making friends experience, I've got to have somebody encouraging me to grow in my relationship with Christ. That's what making friends is about. It's not just having somebody to go to the movies with necessarily, though those relationships begin to develop and we start doing things outside of even our group meetings, but it's about making sure that there are people in my life who know me on a deeper level than the people that I walk in and they're like, hey, how you doing? And I'm like, I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. And we know we're a big fat liar because we're not doing great. We need somebody in our lives that knows us on a deeper level. So just a couple of evaluation questions here. Who are you doing life with that is encouraging you in your relationship with God? Who are you doing life with that is encouraging you in your relationship with God? 
If you don't have one or two or five or ten people right now that you can point to, that that relationship is growing and it's deepening, I would encourage you to start there. So loving God, making friends. The third one is serving others. Serving others is the place that we find that third component, that third pillar of helping people live a Christ-centered life. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 9 This is out of the message translation or the message paraphrase. He says this about serving. I love this. Even though I am free of the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people, religious, non-religious, meticulous, moralist, loose-living, immoralist, the defeated and the demoralized, whoever. I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ, but I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. I did all this because of the message. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. Now, the Apostle Paul is a guy who he wrote a huge chunk of the New Testament. He planted churches in the first century there. I mean, he was doing life, and he was a really successful minister. And what he said was that there were people who would not listen to the message that he was preaching unless he was serving them as well. They weren't as concerned about the words coming out of his mouth as they were the actions of his physical body and the way that he was serving them. And he was talking about all manner of different people, all kinds of different people. We're not just talking about doing something to just as a handout towards somebody. We're talking about getting messy in the lives of people. He said even viewing things from their perspective to try to understand their scenarios in life and what they're going through so that we can serve them to the basic level of their need. That's what serving others is really about. And so for us as a church, we try to do this through a couple of different ways. The, the way that you probably have seen it done the, the most in our church It's through our ministry teams on Sunday mornings, those that are in the parking lot serving, wearing the vests and standing at the doors and standing at these doors and in this room, taking up the offering and those that are in our kids' classrooms that are teaching our children about the love of God or maybe through our Wednesday night student environments or whatever the other teams that we have serving on Sundays or Wednesdays when we gather together. Those are our our ministry teams here and the way that people can serve others on this campus. And we encourage people to do that. We believe that's one of the greatest ways that you can give of yourself in this countercultural way that says it's all about you, do what you need, do, just look out for your own needs. No, no, no. We say, no, what we want to do as Christ-centered lives, as Christ followers, is give of ourselves, give of our time to meet the needs of other people. And so you may think, well, I'm just opening a door. I mean, I'm just handing somebody a worship guide or a connection card. I'm just standing at an information center and handing somebody a t-shirt on their third visit. I'm just, I'm sitting in a toddler class and there is two toddlers and I think both of them are demon possessed. Like I'm not even sure that they love God yet, right? That was a different church, not this church. None of our toddlers are demon possessed, right? No, we say, I'm just, I'm, I'm just doing this thing. Let me just say to you, there are no small acts of service in the kingdom of God. Because here's what I've said for a while. We know, we we pretty well know when it's somebody's first time at church. Like we might know when they show up because they don't know where to park and so we help them find a parking space or they walk in and they may not know where to go or where to take their children. And so we may know after church they may have picked up a guest gift and we see that they've got a cup or something for their first visit. And we go, oh, it's your first time. Thanks so much for being here. We may know it's their first time. But you know what we don't know? When it's their last time. What I mean by that is we don't know that right before they got out of their car, 
Like right before they opened the door and walked in and they put on that smile and they greeted you when they were, right before they did all that, we don't know how many times they whispered and said, God, this is it. This is the last time I'm trying this. I'm not giving you any more. If you can't do it today, I'm out. And then they put on that smile and they walk in the door and you think it's their first time, but really it's their last time. We don't know that. We don't know when somebody's just on the brink of giving up. When somebody's right on the, they just, and you think you're just handing them a worship guide. You think you're just shaking their hand. You think you're just receiving their child into your classroom. But what you really are is the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Trying one more time to reach out to them so that they can experience the love of God. We almost always know when it's their first time. We very rarely know when it's their last time. And so we have created as many opportunities for people to serve and use their gifts and their talents. And for people that say, well, I don't have a gift. I don't have a talent. You have availability. Even if you don't think you have ability, you have availability. Just show up and be there and man your post and shake somebody's hand and wave them into a parking spot and receive their child into a classroom and love them with the love of Jesus Christ because it may be the last time they're giving God a shot. And God may want to use you so that it makes a difference this time. So on our campus, that's the primary way we serve others. We also do some community outreach things. We probably don't do as well in that effort as I want us to do. You know, just a few weeks ago, the city of Canton agreed to spend several thousand dollars to shoot fireworks right over top of our building. We were fine with them doing that. They didn't ask us, but I mean, we were fine if they would have asked. Because a couple hundred people just showed up in our parking lot to watch fireworks. And so a bunch of you showed up and you put on Canton shirts and you put on a smile and we gave out free bottles of water and free hot dogs and chips and we gave out a free grill and grill supplies and we let people come in and walk through our building and use the restrooms if they needed to and we set up an inflatable that was donated for us to use and let the kids just jump on that inflatable while they waited on the fireworks to start. And some of you, you just served people. You just loved people. And the Sundays right after that, July, the fourth outreach, we had some of our highest attendance in the history of our church as people came in and gave God and gave the church one more chance because you gave them a free hot dog. And because you walked up and asked them if they needed to use the restroom, our building was open. We serve others because we've received something from God and we want to turn that back around and give it to the people of our community and so I would say to you, I can't make you serve. How much of your time are you giving away to serve somebody else versus how much of your time are you serving your own needs? You talk about Christ-centered living. You talk about it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. How much of your time are you giving toward your own needs and how much of your time are you giving toward the needs of someone else? You want to live a Christ-centered life? You want to follow the example of Christ? Then make your life about the needs of other people around you and find a way to serve. The fourth pillar that we kind of hang our hat on is sharing the story. When I was growing up, we called this evangelism or maybe witnessing. We just call it sharing the story here at Canton Church. And what sharing the story is really about is understanding that you have a Jesus story. And if you don't know what that Jesus story is, it's a Jesus story in the making. This is what it says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I think Canton is the ends of the earth. 
I don't know if Canton really is, but if you get on 575 and it becomes 515, you swear you're driving to the end of the earth, right? That's the end of the earth. There's nothing. There's no Mexican restaurants. I mean, it's, it's not, okay. Okay, so you're still with me. That's good. No, we're called by God to be his witnesses. And we are empowered by God to do what he's calling us to do. To share our Jesus story. A Jesus story has three components. Who I was, what God did, who I am now. Who I was, what God did, who I am now. That's the three components of a Jesus story. And we're not asking you to give the war and peace version every time you talk to somebody. But if you were on an elevator with them for like 12 to 15 floors and it was going up, how quickly could you tell them who you were, what God did, and what you are now? That's your Jesus story. That's your Jesus story. And so I would encourage all of us to spend some time reflecting on, if we're a Christ follower, what is my Jesus story? And if you're not a Christ follower, to evaluate, what is God doing in me? Like, if I'm here and I'm searching, like, how did I get here? Like, who have I been and what is God doing in me? And maybe what is God wanting to accomplish in me? What does Christ-centered living look like in my context? So that I'm better prepared to share, if someone asks me about this journey that I'm on, what the Jesus story in my life looks like. We have a simple sharing the story strategy, evangelism strategy here. It's called share and invite. We want you to share your Jesus story and we want you to invite them to church. We believe that as you're sharing your Jesus story, you may have an incredible opportunity to lead someone into a relationship with Jesus Christ. But we also know that sometimes you don't get to close the deal. They may not pray the sinner's prayer as you're talking to them about who you were, what God did, and who you are now. And so you just plant a seed or you just water it, but you invite them to come and to be a part of what you believe to be a life-giving place that enriches their lives or enriches your family or to bring their kids or bring their students or to come and to be a part of an event or a service or whatever it is that we're doing. So you invite them, you share, and you invite. That's what our strategy is. And so we believe that loving God and making friends and serving others and sharing the story is what we're all called to because we believe those to be the components of the Christ-centered life. Because it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. So as it relates to sharing the story, here's two questions I have for all of us today. When was the last time that you had a spiritual conversation with an unbeliever? If we're really about, unapologetically about those that are disconnected from Christ, are you looking for people that are disconnected from Christ and attempting to have spiritual conversations with them? When was the last time you invited someone to come to church? Like, you don't even have to lie. You can tell them that we give away free stuff on their first three visits. Like, come. My church just gives stuff to you. I'll take you to lunch. Like, whatever you need to do. There's Mexican restaurants all down. This, there's a theme today, right? I'll stop. I'll stop. How many spiritual conversations have you had with an unbeliever recently? And when was the last time you invited someone to church? Here's what we believe for every one of us in this room. If you're somebody that says, I think I know God pretty well, or you're somebody that says, I don't really know God at all. If you're somebody that says, I've been in the church a long time, or you say, no, no I'm really still kind of new to the church, or you're somewhere in between, we believe that all of us have some next steps that we should be taking. Because I don't know anybody in the room that would raise their hand to say that I am currently loving God with all of my heart and all of my mind and all of my soul and all of my strength. 
I, I don't know that I'm loving God with everything that I am. I don't know that I have enough people in my life that I can rejoice with when it's time to rejoice and mourn with when it's time to mourn. I don't know that I have enough people that I can be strong for them when they're weak and they can be strong for me when I'm weak. I don't know that I have enough people like that. I, I don't know that I'm giving enough of my time and my resources to serve other people and to help meet the needs of people who may be on the verge of giving up. I don't know that I'm doing enough. And I don't know that I'm having enough conversations with people that are disconnected from Christ about the hope that I've found in Christ. So all of us have a next step that we can be taking. And my prayer today is that as God begins working in our hearts and our lives, that he would help us to evaluate those things in us that don't reflect him to the degree that it needs to, so that we can love him better, make friends better, serve others better, share the story better, and to find our lives to become more and more Christ-centered lives. Because I think that's what we're all called to be about. Let's pray. God, I thank you for every person in this room that God, all of us are living lives and you're calling us to something deeper. You're calling us to something grander. And so today I pray that you would help us to take next steps, help us to love you more, to be in relationship with others more, to serve others more, to share your story in us more. And I realize that some of us in this room, the first step in that is to enter into relationship with you. Our next step is a first step. And so, God, right now, I pray for every person that needs to respond to you, to receive you as the Lord and Savior of their life. I believe as their heart acknowledges their need for you, that you respond to them, you forgive them, and that, God, they enter into this incredible family of God that so many of us in this place are a part of. For those that need more relationships, for those that need to serve, for those that need to share, God, call us to that today. Equip us to do that today. And don't let any of us get comfortable thinking that we've arrived, but help all of us to be challenged today to take our next step in relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or facebook.com slash cantonchurchga.